Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. Today on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption, we're going to do something a little different, and I'm going to try and find out things that I don't know about adoption that, of course, Kelly, being in the adoption industry, not to mention being adopted, she knows these things a lot more than I do. So I'm going to go ahead and kick this off with the uh, idea of the 72-hour wait period. Because there's, between the birth of the child and signing of the adoption consents, I know that there's a 72-hour period, and that makes sense. I mean, especially from the birth mother's standpoint, you want to make sure that she's in the right frame of mind, she's had enough time to think about it, and that's a law in Arizona. I don't think it's nationwide, right? Actually, each state has their own individual laws. So some states have a longer wait period, and some states have a shorter wait period. Okay. And what do you think the average is? Do you think about 72 is the average across the country? I think 72 hours is considered an adoption-friendly state. I think it is actually a fantastic law on behalf of Arizona because it gives the mom enough time without having to rush her decision. Mm -hmm. Um, If she's had an adoption plan in place, and this is something that she's been building up to, Sometimes moms want to sign sooner than 72 hours, but in the state of Arizona, we're not allowed to let them do that. So I think 72 hours is a really good median you know, time frame. It doesn't mean that a mom has to sign at 72 hours, though. Sometimes if a mom is taking medication um, you know, from her delivery, we may have to extend the time frame to which she can sign because she cannot be under the influence of medication. Right. When sign those papers. Or like when a baby is born at 10 o'clock at night, for instance, they're not going to do it exactly three days after. They're going to wait till the next morning. For- well, actually, sometimes we have done them at 10 o'clock at night. Really? It really depends on, yes, it really depends on the mind frame of, of the birth mother. So let's say that you have a birth mother that really wants to, you know, put this adoption to bed. She's really anxious to get the paper signed and and put this behind her and and move on with her life and know that her baby is going to a beautiful and safe adoptive family. At, okay. at that point, I would make the executive decision that, you know, if if this was in her best interest, that we would sign at 10 o'clock at night. Now, we wouldn't sign at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but but 10 o'clock at night, I would say, is, is not outside the realm of what we have done in the past. Okay. So again, it would depend on the frame of mind of the birth mother and what her request is. Now, 
again, adoption, you know, we work 24 seven, 365 a year. I mean, we, we've talked about it in the past that we've had birth mothers that, that sign on Christmas day or sign on, you know, new year's day holidays. And that is one sacrifice that an adoption case manager or social worker has to make because these are people's lives. And just like working in the medical field, it doesn't stop when there's a holiday. Right. When it comes to that 72 hours, like you, like you said, I agree with you 100% that that's a pretty good, you know, that gives enough time for consideration of what the impacts of this are, even after the birth. Um, but how are those 72 hours handled, by and large, by the adopting family? The 72-hour time frame is obviously a difficult time for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say everybody, I mean... The birth mother, the adoptive family, the case managers. So let's kind of back up a little bit. So in the state of Arizona, when an adoption agency is doing an adoption, we have something called pre-consents. So we don't just do post-adoption consent. We do what's called pre-consents. And pre-consents is a time where we sit down and we have a pre-consent conference with a birth mother. When we are going over consents prior to the delivery of a baby with a birth mother, we're preparing her for that time when we are going to be executing consents at 72 hours. So this will not be the first time that she has seen the paperwork or the documentation. And again, this is to prepare her so that she has time to think about what she's signing. You know, consents are irrevocable. And so it's really important that she understands all of the language and the documentation that she is going to be executing. And again, these are irrevocable documents. These documents are the most important part of the adoption process. So it's really imperative that we do a good job explaining it. We have this conference with her. If for some reason she has come into doing an adoption after the baby has been born, we do have to do a a post-birth pre-consent conference prior to doing those consents as well. Uh, there is also a time frame that we honor so that she has enough time to really understand what she is signing. Definitely. Now, the pre-consent conference and the pre-consent documents as well, is that a state law or is that just something that your company does, the Building Arizona Families? In the state of Arizona, that is something that all agencies have to do. Okay. Attorneys do a pre-consent conference. Okay, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit and talk about international adoptions because as I work with Lisa, my wife, we mainly focus on, you know, domestic adoptions here in the United States, whether the birth parents are in Arizona and then the adopting family is in another state or whether they're in the same state. But I don't know a whole lot about international adoptions. Um, And you guys do international adoptions as well. So what would bring, say, an adopting family to the conclusion that they want to adopt from another country? You know, I think it's really where somebody's heart is. Sometimes we'll have families that will have gone on maybe a mission trip to another country or they have, you know, grown up their whole life around maybe having a friend that was adopted from another country or maybe they have, you know, a special liking for another country or they just feel that that's where they're led. We do have uh, employees that have 
adopted internationally. And so that's really neat. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really where your heart is. You know, some people want an older child adoption. When you're adopting overseas, you, you know, really the youngest child at this point that would come home is about 18 months. Really? Okay. I didn't know that as well. Do they usually, the adoptive uh, parents, do they usually look for a particular country or is it kind of like, what do you have that's international and then they choose or? Right. So certain countries are open for adoption where others are not open for adoption. And sometimes a country will open for adoption and then close. Mm -hmm. They'll go into like a moratorium or, or they'll completely shut down. And we've seen that with Guatemala, with Russia, you know, countries, again, will open. Romania is another one and then close. And so hmm. if somebody's interested in international, what they would need to do is go to the U.S. State Department website and see what countries are open. The other okay. thing that you would want to do is you would want to look at the numbers of adoptions that that had been done from that country last year. So in other words, if you're looking at the State Department website and you're seeing a country that you're very interested in, and there was only three adoptions last year through that country, you may want to focus on a country that has had more adoptions. You know, oftentimes in the past, I would get a call from a family who was interested in adopting from a specific country that, you know, I had never even heard of. And when they went to the website, they discovered that, you know what, that country, although it may be open for adoption, you know, one child came home. And so you really want to find, you know, a first start with a country that, that is open for adoption and has, has had a lot of children coming home. Another thing is that you'll, once you determine or decide on which country you want to adopt from, then you would pick an agency that has a contract with that country and does adoptions through that country. With Building Arizona Families, we do Haiti, and that is the country that we do right now. Okay, so that's Another the only thing, country no. you do right now? Uh-huh. Okay, interesting. Right now, we've had a lot of other countries in the past, but again, what happens is, is you'll you maybe work like we were working with Ethiopia, and they had an open program, and then uh, there were some things that went on in Ethiopia that were not good, and so at that point we stopped using the program because we felt that it was not in the best interest of the agency and the families. And then, you know, Ethiopia went through some changes and they shut down and then they, you know, they opened back up and they shut down. And so there's a lot of um, movement as to the countries when they open and close. Do international adoptions go the other way? Is, is there ever a case where say somebody from Europe wants to adopt an American baby? Yes. Really? That surprises me. Yeah, but that's not something that our agency does. We don't um, export children out of the country. Now, as anybody who has listened to our podcast before probably knows, you yourself are adopted. And actually, I mentioned it earlier, so they would definitely know if they've even been listening to this podcast. You were adopted back right around the time that Roe v. Wade changed. And it's really impacted your life in so many ways. Obviously, you probably wouldn't have even gotten into the adoption field had it not been for that. But is there anything about your personal adoption that you wish was different? Something that you would change? Yes, actually there is. I wish that I, a couple things actually. I wish that back in the 70s that open adoption was more of a thing. It was Mm -hmm. not at all. And so my adoption was totally closed. I think it would have been amazing to have an open adoption. And I also think that it would have been, knowing what I know now, having my biological mother 
passing away at 59, I would have liked to have found her sooner so that I would have had more time with her. That's completely fair. Now, when you look back on that time and knowing your mother the way you got to know her in the in those few years that you had, do you think that if open adoptions were more a thing back in the 60s, 70s, you know, all that time, do you think that maybe she would have gone with an open adoption? Yes. Really? Did she ever tell you that? She never really understood the scope of adoptions. You know, when when she found out what I did as a career choice, she was she was not well versed in adoptions at all. She didn't understand what an open adoption was even, you know, at her age. I mean, she was around 48 uh, when I met her mm-hmm. and she did not 48, 49. She did not really understand how they worked. Her adoption was very, very different from today. I mean, her adoption really consisted of her finding out she was pregnant three weeks before I was born. Her adoption choice was really her mother and the family doctor going in another room and coming back and telling her that's what was going to happen. And then, you know, the three weeks go on that she's not allowed to talk about it with anybody in the family or anybody else. And then um, they, you know, knocked her out. I was delivered. They walk her back up and she never saw me. So there wasn't really an adoption experience for her. You know, there was, there was no counseling afterwards. There was no um, really speak of me. And so it was this, in her mind, shameful secret that she carried around that turned into a source of guilt and depression. And that's one of the reasons that we started the Donna K. Evans Foundation is because we didn't want her, we didn't want anyone to experience what she had gone through. Because I do have two biological brothers that were born after me. And they lived in in the wake of what had happened to her with mm-hmm. me. Emotional. And so, right. And so, you know, it's very common when you have a teen pregnancy to then have a second teen pregnancy. So my mother got pregnant with me when she was 15 and had me five months, four to five months after she turned 60. She then had my brother on her 18th birthday. So she turned around and, and got pregnant again pretty quickly. Fairly soon. Hmm. And so it was, um, you know, what happened to her? I think, you know, had she understood really what adoption entailed, you know, she didn't understand that what she had done was was a beautiful and loving choice. She had thought, you know, she had done something very wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I have discussed, I think on the podcast, I know I've, I've talked about it when I do public speaking about the second time that she came to visit me. And we were walking, I, at that time I was going to a, a mega church and we were walking into church and she grabbed my arm and stopped me as we were walking in and she said, I can't go in there. And I asked her why and she said that they were all going to judge her for what she did. And she was, she was terrified that they were going to think that she had done something horrible and she was so ashamed of it. And so, you know, I spent so much time and effort and energy trying to explain to her that she did something that was amazing and beautiful. And I was grateful for the choice that she made. And she just really struggled to see it like that. Right. And so I think that adoption has a very different, you know, connotation now. I mean, back in that day, you know, they were sending women away to these maternity homes and they were delivering and coming back like nothing ever happened. Right. And those babies were placed for adoption. So you know, she hid her pregnancy and, you know, nobody knew. 
I was born in January. So there was that Christmas break to where those last couple weeks, she was able to kind of pretty much, you know, hide that she was pregnant. And back in that day, they were wearing those kind of like flowy shirts and, and coats. And they, it was in Ohio, so it was cold. So she was able to hide her stomach. And mm-hmm. she said that she left the hospital. And back in that day, you actually had to go and make a court appearance and, and say that you wanted to do the adoption. And she said that, you know, she went to court by herself. Her mom waited in the car. And she went in and she had to go up in front of the judge and and say that this is what she wanted to do. And then she walked back out and got in the car and went to school the next day. Wow. You had over 10 years to actually get to know her and find out who she was. And she found out who you were. And I know you developed a lot of love in that time and a lot of respect for her and between each other. Is there anything looking back now? Because I, I think of people who I even people who haven't passed away, but that I haven't seen in years. And I think I really wish I had told them something. Is there anything you wish you had said to your mom while you had the chance that you can maybe kind of say to her now? Yes, I think that I, I wish that I would have taken more time and really explained to her and maybe flown her out again. So she could see that adoption is something amazing. I, I took, I tried to take as much time as I could. I mean, I bought her a book and I tried to get her into a counseling program and I tried to really educate her, but she didn't really want to talk about that. Hmm. You know, she didn't want to focus on her adoption choice. She wanted to focus on how much I, she felt like I favored her, you know, in appearance and, and how um, beautiful her grandchildren were. And, you know, I'd buy her a book on adoption, trying to help her understand. And she'd read the first page and she'd toss the book aside. She just wasn't. um, So I wish that I had really taken the time and and kind of forced her a little bit to see the good, because I'm not sure that she really ever reached a level of acceptance in her grief. And I know that her being from the South and in West Virginia, it's not common, especially back then, to place your child for adoption and, and for people to know that. And so when I found her, the majority of her family didn't know I existed. And so that forced her to come out in a, in a way. And then there was the judgment that she faced from that. And so that was hard. That was the main reason that when I wrote her, her eulogy at the funeral, that I made sure to include that what she'd done was beautiful. And, you know, because of that, I've been able to help, you know, hundreds and hundreds of women and their children and families all come together. And without her making the choice that she did, I, that wouldn't have happened. And so I hope that I was able to raise the opinions of those that judged her before, after. Kelly, I really appreciate you, first of all, explaining some things that I didn't know and also opening up a little bit about your personal story. And I know that can be kind of difficult, but also, you know, uplifting at the same time. I know that it's been edifying for everybody listening because it helps them to understand more deeply about what adoption is. And I just want to thank you for answering questions and sharing with us just honestly. Absolutely. I hope everybody, you know, takes away from it and learns a little bit more and embraces adoption tenfold.
Thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. If you're listening and you're dealing with an unplanned pregnancy and want more information about adoption, Building Arizona Families is a local Arizona adoption agency and available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. That's 623-695-4112. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan or just get you more information. You can also find out more information about Building Arizona families on their website at azpregnancyhelp.com. Thanks also go out to Grapes for allowing us to use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Birth Mother Matters in Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to us. We'd really appreciate it. We also now have a website at birthmothermatterspodcast.com. Tune in next time on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Raines.